0: Okay, this is the next episode of Ten Questions. I'm Thinker, and on the other end with me today, I have Frank McGee, aka Frank McGovern. How are you doing, Frank?
1: Good. How are you doing today?
0: Doing, doing good. I uh, I just posted it before we started recording this, but I mean seriously, every time I see your handle, I always think of uh, the guy that was the executive producer of the show, Chuck.
1: I'm mm, trying to think.
0: He he, he goes by McG. Yeah, Yeah,
1: there's a there's an he does he does movies or another show. Somebody brought this up to me in the past that it just says it just says McGee. That's all it says.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and I I, it always caught my eye, but it took me it took me years after that show was off the air before I actually looked to see who the guy was or anything. (laughs) But yeah, that it, it, it always reminds me of that though, whenever I see your handle. Um, so now we're now we're talking in the year 2020 and we're still technically mid pandemic but by the time this airs it it'll air uh, it'll drop just a little under twelve months from now on uh, it's two days after tax day twenty twenty one on april seventeenth um, so at this point we actually should be uh, at the point this drops, we actually should be
1: um, was it April,
0: about four months away from Blue Team Con finally happening.
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. We'll be late August of twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah. So, it, so, so what what was what was it like uh, you know going through that whole process of trying to decide what uh, what to do with that, how to deal with that?
1: Uh, it's it's kind of rough. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It was very somber. It was a lot of, um, you know, just letting time pass to see what happens because we didn't really know at the time when we first started talking about it how bad this virus and the pandemic was going to get. Um, So we had to start making decisions. We were watching what other conferences were doing. We had to discuss do we actually want to virtualize it? Do we want to make it physical? Uh, Do we want to run with it? And then I think time was the right answer, and then we just didn't want to get too close to make a decision. Um, so we had to watch what was kind of happening around the environment, and we were watching uh, sales and stuff was kind of giving an indicator that this is probably not a good idea to host. And then we decided to uh, have that discussion around like what is valuable to a conference, and what's what's your main driver? If your main driver is just the talks, then virtualization makes a lot more sense. But our main driver was building community building friendships, and that's just not as easy to do virtually. It's much easier in person with everyone hanging out with each other and having activities to do yeah um
0: I totally agree with
1: that yeah and then obviously, dealing with the contract was uh the fun part, so uh-huh. i'm I'm glad the venue really the venue has been great to us uh and that that shows by the fact that they were willing to let us push for fourteen months away, and they didn't really give much fight to do that so. They really want to make this conference successful as well. And they've been a backer since we originally told them the concept of this conference.
0: That's so great. That's that's awesome to hear. Um, so what uh, so, uh, so, so since, since at the time we're speaking, we're 14, 14, 15 months out from it happening. Um, it, it was, if if you had to, uh, if you had to uh, pick one one person that just in your mind right now that is on the lineup of speakers that you're, uh, you're, you're highly interested in uh, not only listening to that person, but their talk specifically. What's, what, what's one of the ones that really caught your attention?
1: Uh, is this the part where I don't say myself in my own talk?
0: Uh, I mean, (laughs) you, you could, you could,
1: uh, you know what? Um, I love all the talks, but I will say, um, as current role right now, I'm digging more into GRC and more into documentation and, and risk management and stuff. So Adam Eckhoff's talk on everyone hates documentation and how he created this huge documentation um, standard using Git and everything to mm-hmm. kind of make change notification and change management around documentation. Sounds interesting.
0: You know, that does sound interesting. And I, and, and I even, uh, it, it, it catches my uh, attention just cause, uh, but before we uh, started talking, I was, uh, I was uh, reading through some of the stuff about you. And it was talking about how you're doing the documentation, the policy writing and everything. And I, I'm actually in the middle of a big, giant project doing that myself where I am. It's, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the company I work for is, you know, they've uh, done nominal stuff to be secure. But they don't actually have an established information security program. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, it is, so I I am spending time between uh, compliance audits and everything else, and I'm just I'm doing it from the ground up this year. And you know I, I you know if I was actually going to print it out, you know I, I fully expect to have a binder, you know probably two three inches thick uh, worth of stuff by the time I'm done. But it's going to be structure procedures uh, it, po- policy, it's, it's going to be a whole framework of, okay, here's how you need to handle this stuff instead of flying by the seat of your pants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it can be a lot. And, uh, I think we have about 14 to 16 policies depending on what you want to count. And, uh, it's somewhere around like 160 pages, but really only like 47 of those pages are the actual meat and potatoes of what's policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not including all the procedure and SOP documents. That's just policies. But yeah, I thought the writing was the tough aspect. It's not. Uh, it took a very long time to write it, but now implementation and getting people to follow it and tracking how they're following it and finding a tool to make sure people are accountable and provide evidence that the policy is actually being met, that is the challenge.
0: Yeah, and uh, especially considering, uh, you know, how you work for a much bigger company than I do um uh, i i can only imagine how it's going to uh it, how it's gonna be trying to enforce all that um I, I, I think that's probably a bonus on my end is that i've got maybe a couple hundred people to deal with uh so you know, it'd be a little easier there um you, you 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 said you're also uh you know diving it more into uh risk management, um, was, was diving into, uh, diving into risk management. Was that a, uh, uh, Hey here, Frank, you need to do this. Or was that something that actually caught your interest and you started diving into that on your own?
1: Uh, both. We knew it needed to get done. So my company already does risk management, you know, we're a construction company. So, Mm -hmm. uh, risk is huge in construction. So we have a business risk entity and they handle that kind of stuff, but no one was really doing cybersecurity risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's the avenue I've gone down. Uh, so it was multifaceted, uh, my director, a consultant we're working with and myself all knew, I, I mean, I knew it was coming long-term cause I know that's long-term path, mm-hmm. uh, when it started was probably more of a, it's time to start doing this, but, um, yeah, that that's the roughest thing to get into when you are a little younger, you're a little more evergreen and you're just getting tossed into this, um, risks are a little confusing and the bigger problem is nobody puts anything out there cause they're obviously not going to talk about their risks. So you can find example policies because most of that's usually public domain, but you can't find public risk registers. Oh yeah. So it took a long time for me to grasp what is actually a risk like and how to actually rate risk. Cause I'm just thinking, you know, when you tell me a risk is that a phishing email comes in, well, that's like crazy. So that's what I originally thought a risk was. And I realized that's not really a risk. That's the threat. Um, Mm -hmm. So it took a long time to get my mindset around what exactly is a risk and start Digging into is this actually a threat or risk, or a, or is it the actor? What actually is it?
0: Yeah, I, I the, the risk management is is a part of what I'm having to implement as well, and the, the conversation that I'm having to have with other people in the company right now um, is more about the fact. Oh, hey, with the with our uh, compliance audit, we just have to have done a risk analysis. It doesn't, you know, the results of it do not matter. The requirement is that we do it.
1: Um, yeah, there's a. They're
0: they're, they're going to end up get, getting getting the earful from me later after we get <laughs> through compliance, that about okay. Now let's go back and look at this uh, at this risk analysis that I did, and let's talk about some of the things that are highlighted in red. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, there's a guy named Steve Hunt, and uh, he uh, we've worked with him, and he uses this analogy where there's a guy standing outside of your window with a rock, and he's going to throw it at your window. He's going to break the window and it might do more damage inside. So if you think about that scenario, what's the actual risk in that whole thing? It's not the guy, it's not the rock, it's not the window. That's, you know, the guy's the threat, the rock is the exploit, the windows, the vulnerability. But the risk is what actually happens once that rock hits the window and what happens when a rock goes through past the window. Mm -hmm. And that's where your risks lie.
0: Mm -hmm. That's that's a very good analogy and I'm already finding myself sitting here uh, thinking of how that lines up to about a 100 different things. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so, okay. Man, that it's it, it sounds like I uh you and I could probably talk talk about this just all day, but uh, Yeah,
1: that, it's a, it's a good way to apply. That's that's what helped me grasp my mind more around it and when I sit down and I write down a risk, I think about that scenario and I mm-hmm. and I try to line up like what is what I'm writing down in my risk register actually a risk based on the scenario, like if I were to put this in that scenario. Okay. Um,
0: okay. Kind of, kind of stepping sideways a bit with the next question. Um, you know, I, I know, uh, you know that uh, you were in the Marines at, yeah. uh, at, at one point in your life um, was while you were in the military, was that what actually directed you toward uh, information security? Or is that something that ended up happening after you left?
1: Uh, I would say not at all. Uh, I would say it had an aspect into it. Uh, I was always interested in computers since about, I was four years old. Always the tech savvy person in the family, you know, and then uh, uh so I did intelligence work in the military. I worked with drones for on uh, my deployments uh so but I would say the intelligence I've always had the love for computer, and you combine with intelligence, I really wanted to stay in the intelligence field, uh but then I decided to start looking at computers more and then. I actually wanted to be in networking. I was really interested in CCNA and CCMP and Cisco routing and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then my degree was information system security. So I started taking more classes on that. Uh, And I realized that the analyst in me that came out when I was an intelligence analyst and did a lot of that work uh, really combined well in the cybersecurity space. And that's, it was kind of the draw for me. Uh, I really love doing analysis work and trying to solve very complex problems. And that's where cybersecurity really lies.
0: Analysis geeks unite. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, w- whenever you were in the military, um, did you, uh, oh, when, when, w- w- whenever you were in the military, uh, did you end up with um, any, um, any uh, overseas deployments, any uh, extra traveling or was it, did the technology actually keep you closer to home?
1: No, the, uh, the Marines do not have the fancy drones that the Air Force and some other branches do, uh, you know, the uh, twenty five million ones. We just have the uh, million-dollar lesser ones. <laughs> uh, so we had to actually be there. Uh, so I, I worked at a lot of units here in the States, but for my actual deployments to Iraq twice, those, those are what, that's what the drone unit.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: First deployment was near the Syrian border. The second one was near Fallujah. They're in the second push. Uh, to retake Fallujah after it was lost a little bit to the US mm-hmm. um, by the insurgency. So uh, the drone work was fun. So we would fly around, uh, do a lot of things. Uh, we, would do, we would go ahead of patrols to see if there's anything to worry about. We would go out and just scan areas to see what people are doing when we're not physically present in the area to kind of monitor what they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, help look for snipers, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of really nice. We, one of our drones would have FLIR technology on it so Mm -hmm. what you would do at night is turn on the heat turn on the FLIR and be able to see heat signatures in the road so you know if an IED is planted there because the road cooled down but the IED metal didn't Uh, so you would see that kind of stuff Um, great story one time is these tankers so what they did a lot was obviously steal the oil out from the oil fields and the pipelines and then take it to Syria and other countries and sell it and then Mm -hmm use that money to buy weapons so we're scanning this open desert once and we come across this tanker and we see him stealing oil i'm like okay this guy's having a good time so we, we we watch and we start letting the unit know that they're probably gonna have to go catch this guy but we're following him along so we can keep the unit abreast of where he's going and all of a sudden he just meets up with another tanker and we're really zoomed in at this point and we're like okay what the hell is he doing out here so we zoom out and there's about 30 tankers And they all start heading towards Syria. We're not, we're like 20 miles away. And it was the funniest thing ever because they're just cruising along and all of a sudden you see them really pick up the pace. And we zoom out a little more, look to where they're clearly running from and we see our Humvees just flying (laughs) after them. (laughs) And we just start this huge chase. Uh, And it was just, it was pretty cool. Um, And then we had more patrols up ahead. So they obviously got all got stopped, arrested about 40 people and stopped about, I think at that time each tanker was about seven hundred fifty thousand to a million dollars in oil. that they would fill up, so we stopped a good twenty five plus million dollars in oil wow. and arms being purchased. So that wow. was a lot of fun. Sounds like it. Yeah,
0: sounds like it. So it. Sounds like about the closest you could get to that in a in a everyday job. If somebody if somebody had you flying the helicopter that was looking at traffic every morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> except a little bit more at stake and a, a little bit of fancier equipment with what you were doing yes um okay so i, I want to circle back around to, to uh blue team con um what what, what was it that uh what, what was it that really drove the decision to go ahead and pursue and uh, pursue uh, doing this conference
1: yeah it was um I'm still a little younger in the industry at the time, and I'm going to going to little conferences, going to black hat, going to red hat and i'm I'm looking around, you know I'm starting to get a little pressure from my director on are these conferences valuable? so I'm looking for other more blue team focused conferences and less hacking because my role is all blue team and no red team. Uh, we don't even have a red team in my organization, so Uh, I was looking around and realized they don't really exist. So I kept going to conferences and making friends and I'm asking them like, you know, where can I go? What, what exists out there? And there really isn't much. The what's out there is really focused on DOD or is a vendor owned conference. So it's really them just selling their product. Uh, So I was talking it out with people and I eventually just with, um, with my partner just realized uh, let's uh, screw it. Let's just do this ourselves then. And we'll figure it out. Uh, so talked to Dave Kennedy a little bit and he gave me great mentorship. He's such a good guy. Uh, really gave me mentorship on how to kick it off and what to do. And And then I've kind of taken it from there with my partner and now we have a board of uh, several people. So we're just full steam ahead now.
0: Cool. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I never honestly really thought about it, but there, there really isn't a lot of, uh, of a, of a bastion of blue team out there when it comes to conferences
1: no and there's there's the smaller ones like i think art into science exists but that's like 300 people max and they don't ever want to go above that Mm -hmm. and there's no uh there's some of the b sides and stuff but that's like you're seeing some of the conferences that were hacker cons pick up more blue team focused talks Mm -hmm. but there was never a blue team specific conference that was just not vendor owned or focused to any kind of specific silo
0: okay and i
1: originally wanted this to be like a let's take on defcon let's make a blue team let's take a let's make a blue team thirty thousand person conference and then i realized like i do not want to be a full-time conference runner that is a (laughs) full-time company's job to do that kind of stuff yeah
0: yeah Yeah. it's it's
1: enough work just for this initial thousand people yeah but the goal would be to try and grow it to a few thousand and then probably stay around there
0: okay okay i'll look forward to see where that's going and uh now that I got a little more time to, to uh, plan travel to Chicago, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to see if I can make it up there.
1: Yeah. We have plenty of time now. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Yeah. More than enough time. Yeah. And, and, and as is, you know, I tell, uh, I do tell people uh, that uh, especially whenever you're talking about, uh, you know, downtown areas that Chicago is probably one of my most favorite cities out there.
1: I feel like everyone says that and it's, it's, it's awesome to hear. Cause yeah. it, it's a great city.
0: Well, I mean, you know, give give, give me an apartment in, in in the middle of the city. Uh, give me a place to work in the middle of the city. Make it to where I don't even need my car. And I'm ha- I'm happy to get out, walk the streets. Not like that. Um, walk the streets to my job, and um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, that's that's just an experience that uh, that I've never had to. You know, I've never actually been able to have on a regular basis. It, it just it'd be neat it'd be fun
1: no yeah you can really do that here in chicago we have a great bus network and the l the train network so you could really easily live here without a car mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. um uh, okay so, so 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 since we're talking chicago here i've i've never really gotten uh, many people to buy in to my love of chicago style deep dish pizza are is are, are, are you definitely a deep dish pizza person or are you an outlier there in the
1: Chicago? I majority think crust, but I do like deep dish. I I wouldn't say it's my go-to ordering. I do order it now and then and more, more of when friends are in town or tourists are in town that I'm showing them yeah. the pizza. But my default is thin crust, but I don't hate deep dish like everyone else does. I actually think it's cool to hate it. I think people don't actually hate it. They just, like to ride that train because they're because <laughs> it tastes delicious who cares it's food oh it's absolutely
0: freaking delicious <laughs> and, 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 and man whenever you think about it whenever you think about it hey if you're somebody that's doing keto but you still like your pizza yes dang it thin crust pizza is not keto no thin crust pizza is all crust and a little bit of pizza yes but deep dish is all pizza and just enough crust to still call it pizza
1: Yep, and some places make a keto pizza where they just make the crust out of a meat and then mm-hmm. they just, so there is no breaded crust.
0: Wow, wow. So, okay, okay. so so uh, who makes the best eat dish in Chicago?
1: Uh, I love beggar's pizza. Okay. I'm actually not a Lou Manati's fan like a lot of people and that's probably because I grew up on the South Side. I think more North Siders like Lou's. And that's where a lot of people are now, but as a South Sider, I have to root for beggars.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, I've uh, I've uh, only uh, had the chance to try Giordano's, but Giordano's was pretty good.
1: Giordano's is not bad. I think that's a great like you're coming to Chicago and you want to try a Chicago pizza, that's a great mm. place to try.
0: Yeah, it's it but, but of course, you know if I you know, if I got to spend more time in Chicago, I'd be I'd be looking for more local places cuz local places when it comes to food, that's when you find the flair.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, so you know we so so we taught pizza. Let's uh let, let let's let's go to the uh sometimes sometimes um uniting, sometimes divisive subject of breakfast food. Um okay. you know, I I've I I've I've asked people what their what their favorite dish is before and that kind of doesn't, doesn't always go anywhere much, but breakfast food. I mean, okay, so so we'll strike bacon off the list first, because that's a default answer for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, that would have been my default answer.
0: Okay. So if you take if you take bacon off the list, then what would you say is the best breakfast food of all time?
1: I love omelets, personally. Okay. So do, do, you, nice. do you get ones
0: that are structured certain ways, or do you like throw in the kitchen sink?
1: Uh, it doesn't matter, but I will say I, my go-to is typically like a ham, cheese, and onion. Okay. Maybe maybe throw in some green pepper sometimes.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that 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 sounds good. That's yeah omelet. Throw
1: good. in the and then that's where the side of bacon comes in, or put <laughs> bacon in the omelet.
0: <laughs> bacon, ham, every single meat they have. <laughs> every,
1: yes, all the porks.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, just throw in the entire pig. Just 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 a whole pig. Wrap it in egg.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so, then a uh, another good question that kind of tells a lot about people is, uh, are you more of a uh, are you more of a reader, or are you more of a person that likes to watch uh, TV and movies?
1: Uh, I would love to be more of a reader. I am a person that watches TV's and movies. It's very hard for me to read. I have a, a very active mind. I think I'm just at that point in my life, where my mind is very active. So it requires energy for me to sit down and read because I always feel like I can be doing something more. I feel like I'm not doing enough. I have to act- actively control my mind to focus on what I'm reading. Cause sometimes I'll find I read the page like five times and it's not that I like daydreamed to went away. I'm actually reading the page, but I just am not digesting what I read at all. It just completely isn't there. Uh, but I would love to read more because there are so I, and I love buying books. So I just have a collection of books growing. I'm like, I need to get to this. I'm just hoping <laughs> with age, it gets better.
0: Um, uh, okay. Well, well, I mean, what, what, what kind of books get your attention more? We're talking more, uh, you know, fiction books or we're talking uh, like uh, manuals and how-tos? <laughs>
1: um, nonfiction does uh, the work for me. Uh, oh, wait, no, the other way around. Fiction is the fake stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. So fiction, <laughs> I always get those confused. I hate it. Uh, I like fiction more, but from a standpoint right now with the books that's on my list to read, it's all cybersecurity and, and, and it related that I would love to get to. So like, I'm, I'm about halfway through the Phoenix project, but that halfway has taken me about seven months to get to, and I haven't opened it in like two months. So that's the kind of reading style I do. Um, like I said, it's very hard for me to read. And then I haven't even finished it yet. And I started reading 1984 Because I'm like, oh, I got to read this book. Everyone doesn't stop talking about it. So uh, I'm kind of all over the gamut.
0: Okay. Um, All right. So diving from there into music. What was was your go-to band when you were in high school? Oh, man.
1: I don't really have a go-to. I listen to everything. The only thing I don't listen to is a lot of heavy metal, screamo, or punk. I kind of stay away from those. But I listen to everything else. I'm I'm a big more top forty fan and more of a uh, what's called. Uh, can't remember what it's called. Atlanta trap music, I think it's called. Uh, so it's more of a hip hop rap type stuff. Okay, I'm more into that kind of stuff. So I'm really big on Wiz Khalifa and ra-shamard and all those types of bands.
0: Okay, okay. Um,
1: to... But uh, it you can kind of expand on there. I mean. Man, if I try to think of go-to. But then I'll listen to, like, Journey. I've seen Journey live three times. So, and I've seen Third Eye Blind live, like, four times. Uh, so, it go, and I've seen Wiz Khalifa live, but then I've seen, like, No Doubt. So, I go all over the place. I've seen country concerts. I do everything.
0: Oh, oh, oh okay. I, I've, I've got to ask. I've got to ask. Yeah. What's your opinion on Nickelback?
1: I actually like Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's going to get a lot of controversy. People, I think that's another thing, like like deep dish where people just love to hate it but they secretly have it and then when a song comes on they're like it's kind of this kind of hits a little bit i mean they sell platinum records so people like them
0: uh, un- undoubtedly uh, undoubtedly but the, the the uh the the uh, vocal the, the the vocal group about not liking them is extremely vocal about it
1: yes and I, and i think yeah i think if you're trying to compare them they're not the Beatles and they're not these other bands that, that like Nirvana that changed music. No, but I, I don't, I never usually care about who's singing. I, and I don't care about, um, a genre. So I'll listen, like, I like Wiz Khalifa, but there are songs I don't like about him. I don't just like all of his songs because I like him. So I listen to each song individually and I judge it by itself. So some Nickelback songs, I do like the way they sound.
0: Yeah. It's, and I'm kind of the same way with mine. You know, I, i i could uh, I could leave Nickelback more than take it, but it, but they've had one or two there that's just like that's actually not half bad,
1: yeah, and maybe you can't listen to it all the time, but maybe it comes on once every five years, and you' you're driving along in a road trip in your car, and you're like, you know what this is kinda of kicking right now
0: yeah well <laughs> it's it, it, and of of course the people that like to really rail and nickelback, I know one of the biggest things is uh you know it's like basically their all their songs sound sound the same.
1: Yeah, I I could agree to that. But they're pretty close.
0: But but a lot of people that say that end up like or end up are people that like uh, some of the bands that uh, that I'm a fan of, and uh, like uh, System of a Down, for instance. You listen to some of System of Down, this their, their first couple of albums that they put out, and I mean you could you could make an argument to say every song was pretty much the same thing.
1: Yeah, I say Uh, that about Nirvana sometimes, and that really pisses people off.
0: Yeah, so it's, (laughs) you know, Uh, people just love to hate sometimes.
1: Yeah, System of of a Down, by the way, probably the best concert I've ever been to in my life. I also was scared for my life. That's the only concert where I thought I might die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, why is that?
1: Because they had this, it was at Riot Fest in Chicago, and classic, everyone's kind of spread out, but when the band starts playing, uh, everyone pushes forward and gets close. Mm-hmm. So they, they start out with deer Dance" as their first song, uh, which is a terrible idea. Uh, maybe a great idea, but also a terrible idea. So everyone pushes in and you ever seen those videos where, or those, you ever hear about those deaths at concerts where people like are so squished in that they, their chest can't even expand to breathe. Mm-hmm. That's basically what was happening. And thankfully I've watched those videos because I had to put my arms up to keep my chest. So people couldn't compress me so I could breathe. Um, and then, and, and you know, it was crazy because they had to stop playing twice during Deer Dance to tell people to spread out because what was happening up closer to the pit was people were falling and they mm-hmm. couldn't get back up because it was muddy and they're falling down. So they had to keep stopping for that. And then what actually happened was after Deer Dance finished, they had to give like a five minute break and what, and you're standing at the back and, I, and these people, so it's like a 70 degree day. You know, I don't, I haven't really busted a sweat just a little bit and you see these people come up. That are walking out from the middle and they are drenched in sweat like you can tell that like life ended for them up there <laughs> and, it, it, and it's they must have been even more fearful for the life like oh man but it was honestly a great concert they were awesome
0: yeah i i i, I love what they do um and uh you know if it, have you listened to any of uh surge or darren's solo stuff that they've done
1: no not at all
0: oh they they uh, they have some creative minds. It's 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 a little bit outside of the box of, of system, but it's still it's still good stuff.
1: Um, Interesting. I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah. Now I, I tell you the the one thing the the one big story in my mind always with System of a Down, um, was uh was the one time that they got invited to come on Saturday Night Live.
1: Oh, and, I think I remember this. Yeah, because cause it, it <laughs> they was they got banned, didn't they?
0: I, I don't I don't remember. I I didn't. I, I thought I didn't they were
1: they were told not to sing like a political song or something, and they did. Well, and they they, they, said, they said F it or something.
0: Well, the the the, the song it, the the album that uh, came out was the was the first release of the two of the two part release of uh, Mesmerized, Hypnotized, and they had that the the uh, lead track on that first uh, on the first uh, part of that release. Uh, it was called BYOB, Bring Your Own Bombs, is what that stood for. <laughs> um, and and yeah, you, you know, you go, you go listen to the CD, and yeah, there's plenty of times they drop an F bomb during the song. Well, what ended up happening on the on the performance during the live show? Okay, well, the NBC sensors were editing, uh, uh, were, were, we're killing the audio every time an F bomb came up, but. <laughs> You could tell that they listened to the uh, that that they listened to the album to figure out where to do to censor, because uh, because uh, Darren went and dropped another f bomb that's not on the track and <laughs> and it got past it got past the censors.
1: Awesome. So I think I remember a little of this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's, but but hey, it, one way or the other, it was it was good to see the performance
1: though. So. <laughs> that's that that is hilarious have you seen them live
0: i have not uh you know fr- frankly i'm not i'm not necessarily the biggest uh concert goer
1: okay um, they aren't they don't play in the u.s much because they hate the u.s so um i had to take up the opportunity when it came up
0: oh yeah yeah no 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 doubt i i can't and, i can't blame you on that
1: and that's the same riot fest i saw prodigy for the first time ever too so i got to see system went down and prodigy like back-to-back days it was awesome prodigy unfortunately with uh what's the same dying terrible we'll never get to see of that again but it was that was the best light show i've ever seen i don't think anyone will ever taught that light show it was so phenomenal how good their lights are
0: Well the, the the one concert that i've been to headliner insane clown posse
1: oh really <laughs> yep
0: and uh and uh the uh opening acts uh coolio was one of the opening
1: <laughs> yes
0: and uh it's but yeah you know, this must
1: be like 2004, 2004.
0: Uh, this was this was actually
1: 2010 okay that's later okay
0: yeah but it's 2010 is that right 2010 2011 something is something like that and i i was actually in las vegas at the time and um before before i went i saw hey this concert's going on it's like it was at the house of blues at um mandalay bay Okay. And uh, so I went ahead and bought a ticket before I went. And uh, yeah, this ICP were the headliners. Uh, Coolio, man, his trademark hair, yep. but he had, <laughs> he had gone so bald that he had the Princess Leia spots of his trademark hair. <laughs> um, and then they had, a, they had a, one group that was not on the list of the opening acts that um, it, was a, it was an all-girl band. They got up on stage, and I was thoroughly impressed. Whenever they started, because it was a Scribo band, that was okay. the last thing I expected coming yeah. from. Uh, but it's, hey, you know, it, it's it, it was it was good. It worked. So, yeah, that that's that's the only concert I've uh, I've been to. It's just I I, I don't know. It's just con- concerts don't work for me personally.
1: <laughs> no, I get it. I uh, my first concert I didn't even go to until I was twenty one. So. Yeah. I, uh, and I haven't been to too many, just kind of the same repetitive acts in some here and there. Yeah. I get, I can tell though, some, some venues are just not as good. They're not as fun. And, and they're not fun at all. I personally think to go to alone. It's more of a, a friend thing. Go with your friends or your family. For more me, about the experience.
0: For, for me, that's baseball.
1: Uh, yeah. I agree uh, there too.
0: I, I, I've, I've got one friend that is such a baseball fan. And I'm just like, baseball just seems, boring to me (laughs) i i have watched just like any sport i watch a few games in the postseason because because there's a there's a lot more to it than just the game itself um but uh you know but the friend of mine that's such a baseball fan i i you know i i've I've acquiesced to it i said you know what i i know we're not in the same in the same state right now but and next time that next time that we're in distance of each other if you want to go to a baseball game and is and you want me to come along if i'm going with you i'll go along
1: <laughs>
0: because it'll, it'll be about going with my friend and not going to the baseball game
1: no i'm the same way honestly i go for the food and to hang out with friends and just have fun just i kind of you know you kind of only 50 percent watch the game but mm-hmm. it's really about just talking to each other and fun just watching something some type of event that's happening
0: yep all right, so moving on, we've I haven't been uh, counting out the questions to you here, oh um, yeah. But it is well, and as I've always told people, uh, I have the official questions, and then there's always follow up questions, and they don't count in the numbers.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Um, So this official question right here is question number ten. All right. Um. So what would you say is both the it, it would be the best advice and also the Worst advice that you've ever received? Two two different pieces of advice: one good, one bad.
1: Okay, uh, it's going to take me a little time to think about worse. But the best—I just actually this is the second time I referenced this quote today, so it's kind of fun. Uh, I'm going to get this quote actually tattooed on me. So I was at a conference once, and there was a panel up there in our industry when I was a lot younger to the industry. Uh, I think it was a sans training or something, and I went up to the speaker afterwards, one of the panelists. And I asked, uh, it was someone in our industry who was pretty advanced. I can't remember who it was, but I know they, they, they're around and people know who they are. I can't remember who it was. But I asked him, what's the best advice you have to have a successful career in cybersecurity? And he told me to challenge yourself to be uncomfortable. And he gave me this story about how he was in cybersecurity, but, you know, he helped a buddy by some, one of his buddies was starting a new company and he needed a CFO. And this guy's a cybersecurity person, doesn't know anything about, doesn't have an accounting degree, any of that, but he decided to just take the role and help out his buddy till he found an actual CFO. Uh, and uh, and that's, a, that's what he learned from doing that is really put yourself in these positions that you don't, when you read these job descriptions and you read these things, it's, don't think that you have to be an expert in that position to go there. Just like the current position you're in and the current problems your organization has, that same organization is probably worse off than you, realistically. Uh, not everyone is perfect unless you're the Netflix security team. Uh, so that's the one you can be nervous about going to. But if you don't meet all the job wrecks and, and you're worried to go there, you know, put, try to be uncomfortable because it's gonna, that's what's going to help you grow. It's the best way to grow. It's the best way to learn is to by doing. You don't want to go into a role where you know how to solve every problem. Cause that's honestly going to get boring and people are not going to like you cause you're going to come out cost egotistical. <laughs> um, so you want those challenges and that that's what makes cybersecurity fun is the problems. So mm-hmm. you want a problematic organization that needs your expertise and uh, initiative to figure out what's wrong. Uh, the worst advice. I, I don't know. Um, most likely probably cause I've just purged it from my brain cause it was such terrible advice. I'm trying to think back to military because I guarantee it was something in there. Um, I don't know. I've been given a lot of good advice in my life because uh, I've been through a lot of stuff uh, and I was very immature when I was younger. So most of the advice that was given to me was good to me because uh, it helped me get over that and, and man up and mature.
0: Oh, okay, Let's let, let's modify that part of the question a little bit. Um, reach back to BME. What was what was the one thing you were told in BME that just made you roll your eyes?
1: BME, basic military
0: there. education,
1: boot camp. Okay. Uh,
0: sorry, that is everything I see. They refer to it as BME
1: these days. Yeah, I never heard that term. Um, I don't know. This is a hard question did you did you ever
0: roll your eyes at anything while while you were there?
1: I probably did, but as you know, boot camp is an extreme blur of events
0: <laughs> fair enough
1: um and a lot of other things stand on in my mind that happened to boot camp <laughs> that was not advice um yeah, I don't know unfortunately, I don't think I can think of any bad advice okay. that that's been that's been given to me that I kind of realize this was bad and I'm still growing. So I am sure something will come along in the next 20 to 30 years for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's some, something, something will happen. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, we'll uh, call that a wrap to the questions. Okay. Um, and uh, it's normally the, normally a place where I say, uh, if you have anything you want to add or something you want to plug, obviously we want to plug,
1: blue team con yeah it'll be
0: it'll be four months away at the point that you're that that everybody that's listening to this hears it
1: yeah i hope we're going good and i hope everyone holds us accountable that we did something more than we even originally had planned because we have plenty of time to plan for things so and we already had uh blue team con 2021 stuff when we originally had the blue team con 2020 saying this is already stuff ideas we want to do that we it's too late to implement. So now it's not too late, and we have a lot of time. So hold us accountable. <laughs> um, but if I were to plug something, um, are you saying from like a cybersecurity IT, maybe a tool or something?
0: Anything, anything.
1: You know what? I love this one product. Everyone asks me, what's the first product you would implement in an organization outside of removing admin rights? Uh, this is the tool that will help you do that. So it's formerly called the Vecto, it's now called Beyond Trust EPM, Endpoint protection man some protection manager or something like that uh it's a great tool so it will let you remove admin rights and then create through group policy so it can be managed through group policy put an agent on all the machines and it will let you still give admin rights to certain things and then keep audit logs of all this information and find out what people are actually using admin rights for so it'll help you kill that gap uh, so you can do things like, okay, none of your users have admin rights, but let's see you allow iTunes from iTunes.com. Well, you can make it. So if someone goes to iTunes.com and installs the product. It'll work and install for them. It gives an admin token in the back end that the user never even sees. And then it lets them, uh, but then it still blocks everything else. And then it has like, it basically is a full replacement to the user account control prompt. So it's a really nice way to replace that. So what we've done is, uh, when things are blocked and people can't install them, they get, a, instead of a, just a generic Windows UAC prompt and they don't, just, just don't have credentials to type in, they get a nice window that says, this program hasn't been vetted by the Walsh department with our logo on it and everything. And then there's a text box that says, if you would like this to be installed or you would like it to be whitelisted, tell us why. And they can fill out this box, click a button, and it instantly opens a ticket with our support, or help desk. So it's a great product if you're, if you're trying to tackle that removal of admin rights across your organization.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like something to look into.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Frank, thank you very much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, this has been great. I appreciate it. Yeah. Same, same here. Um, and, uh, I'll go and let you act for the rest of your evening.
1: Yeah. Let's hope the, uh, pandemic is gone by the time we listen to this
0: Oh, hopefully. and every
1: and everything is much better.